This morning, I was very privileged to preach a sermon entitled Hope, Hope for Hurting Christian Fathers, and I do indeed appreciate the encouragement from you on behalf of that sermon. Tonight serves as a sort of sequel, maybe, or extension of that same theme. Tonight's sermon is entitled, I Can, But I Cannot. It's based upon a list of sentiments, actually an old list of sentiments, which I ran across some years ago and have actually made copies of and put on the foyer table uh, on the way out, right there by the offering plate on the blue sheet, if that is something that uh, you would like to uh, have a copy of, and we will get to the specifics of that list a little later on in the lesson. The actual list out there is entitled to my child, things I can and cannot do. In this morning's lesson, under the second thing that we talked about, I said that speaking of David's son Absalom, that brings us to the second thing, that such hurting Christian fathers need to always remember. Despite the mistakes, despite the inevitable mistakes they may have made along the way, they also did many good things too. Things which it is not their fault if their children chose not to follow their example. And we spoke about that at length. But that brings us to what I want to talk about tonight. And that is this, choices choices. We all, through the divine design of our God and Creator, all have the God-given freedom to make our own choices. All of us. In fact, the person that you are today is largely a result of the choices you've made in your life. The place that you are, the position that you are in, in your life, not always, I mean there are circumstances beyond our control, I understand it, but even when circumstances occur beyond our control, we usually have a choice as to how we will respond to those circumstances, right? And so we are largely, not totally, but we are largely in a place right here tonight that is the result of the choices that we have made to a large degree whether good, bad, or indifferent. Subsequently, when it comes to choices, it is the same thing in the subject of religion or what we believe. Even one's eternal destination is a matter of choice, isn't it? I cannot decide for you where you're going to spend eternity. You cannot decide for me. We each have that choice to make. Now, while some people will seek God and they will seek to submit themselves to God, when they will seek to submit themselves to God and to his word, there are other people that will choose to outright deny even the existence of God, let alone submission to him. And of course, there's everything in between. Those are choices. This is something that, this, this choices thing, uh, 
is something that any of us who teach in any capacity go to teach somebody the truth. Those of us who teach, those of us who preach, those who plead with, those who pray for, those who seek to present the gospel to others to become faithful New Testament Christians. This is something we all must continually deal with. We must come to grips with it because if we don't, it will destroy us. We have got to come to the point that we understand when we have done the best we can do, we've done the best we can do. And that the choices that somebody chooses to make with the gospel is up to them. Once we have done all that we can to teach any of those we love about the Lord and his love, then it is time to know we've done all we can and that the choice they make is completely up to them. Now, now we don't like to do that. I've had circumstances where I have, I have reached out to people and I have sought to study and, and I went to, or very early on in my Christianity, I went to a family member, uh, went to his house and sat down and, and tried and tried, and I come home and thought, what did I do wrong? What, what did I do? What, how did I mess this up? You been there? Some of you have. How, how could I have done better? Listen, our job is to teach the word, isn't it? To preach the word, to present the seed, right? In all four cases of the sower, the seed is the same in all of them, isn't it? Every one of them, seed's the same. Whether it was effective or ineffective, it wasn't the seed's fault. Seed's perfect. Luke 8.11 tells us the seed's the word of God. Our job is to present that. And then the choice that people make with that is completely up to them, and we've got to get a hold of that. We've got to. Do you know that even God himself will not take their choice away from them? Do you know that? God himself will not take their choice from them. Hence, neither can we. We're not more powerful than God. We can't do more than God can do. We can't take people's choice from them either. Nor are we responsible for their choice. This is God's exact point in several places in the scripture. Deuteronomy 28 through 30, Joshua 24, Ezekiel 33, and others. I want you to look at one of those with me. Please turn just a brief synopsis to Deuteronomy chapter 30. <coughs> Excuse me. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, as I said, in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30, Moses is, is letting the people make their choice. But this is just kind of a, a wrap-up of it, if you will, a, a, a micro look at it here. Deuteronomy 30, look what he says in verses 15 through 20. <coughs> See? Deuteronomy 30, 15, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, 
blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the, and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Now, as you read that, Moses keeps telling, I'm setting a choice before you. You got this and you got this. I'm telling you, he says, you need to choose this. But see, no matter how much Moses cried out to him, he said, you've got to choose this in order that God will bless you. You've got to choose to, to love him and to, to obey him and to cling to him and, and he'll go with you. And I'm but Moses, he could have stood there as long as he lived. But if he'd stood there as long as he lived, the rest of his entire life, and told them that one single speech, he could not make that choice for one single person, could he? Nope. In Joshua chapter 24, if you'll turn there with me, we see this same thing. Brethren, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying by any stretch to say to us, well, you know, we can just stop worrying about people and not teaching the gospel. That's not at all what I'm saying. So what I am saying to you tonight is sometimes we get so overwhelmed and Satan keeps heaping the guilt on us when we do the absolute best we can to teach somebody, whether it's family member or anybody else, that we can just lose heart. And what I'm telling us tonight is don't lose heart. Their choice is not up to you. Your, your, your thing is to teach the gospel. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord, Joshua said, serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And? Seems evil to you to serve the Lord? Choose for yourselves to stay whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua said, telling you the best thing you can do, serve the Lord. That's the choice you need to make. That is, that is where you need to be. But if you choose different, that's up to you. But love, don't you love the way Joshua finishes this? But Jane dragging me along. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. See, Joshua had made his choice, but he couldn't make their choice for them, which brings them to that or which brings us to that sheet out in the foyer. And I want you to consider these. And again, there's copies of this out there so you don't have to take them down. It's a lengthy list, but I want you to stop and think about this. To my child, things I can and cannot do. I can share your life, but I can't live for you. I can teach you things but I can't make you learn. I can give you direction, but I can't always lead you. I can allow you freedom, but I cannot account for it. I can take you to worship, but I can't make you believe. I can teach you right from wrong, but I can't decide for you. I can give you love, but I can't force it on you. Reminds me of the prodigal son this morning and his dad. I can teach you to be a friend, but I can't make you one. 
I can teach you to share, but I can't make you unselfish. I can teach you respect, but I can't force you to honor others. I can tell you the facts of life, but I can't build your reputation. I can tell you about lofty goals, but I can't achieve one goal for you. I can teach you to obey, but I can't answer for your actions. I can warn you about sin, but I can't make your morals. I can love you as my child, but I cannot place you or keep you in God's family. I can pray for you. Parents, we know this one. We know many of these. I can pray for you, but I cannot make you walk with God. I can teach you about Jesus, but I can't make him your savior. I can teach you about prayer, but I can't make you pray. I can tell you how to live, but I can't give you eternal life. I can, but I cannot. For those of you who perhaps struggle or know somebody who struggles with a wayward or unfaithful adult child today, same as God did with his Old Testament people, Israel, as well as he does with so many of his New Testament children today, I want you to look with me in the Bible. I want you to really consider some of the biblical weight behind some of those words that we just read. The biblical weight behind them. Turn with me, please, to the book of Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Look at some of the weight behind those words we just read. Proverbs chapter 4. We all know Solomon wrote this. I want you to see what he said. Proverbs 4, 1, he says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, that is wisdom, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. That is wisdom. Wisdom will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. Wisdom will deliver you. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. And you can hear, you can hear Solomon telling his sons, this, this is it right here. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to do. Just as I learned from my father. Look how he goes on in verses 20 through to the end of that chapter. Look at verse 20. Of Proverbs 4. He says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. That's like, you know, incline your ear. Listen closely. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. 
Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. That latter part, he's saying, look right in front of you. Look where you're going. Ponder your steps. If I take this step, where is it leading? Where am I going? What direction do I want to go in? And, and, and watch where you're going and be very careful is the idea. And so this is great and godly instruction from a concerned and faithful father to his son. Fact. This is great and godly wisdom which King Solomon learned from listening to his own father. That's what he says in Proverbs 4, 3, and 4. He said, this is what I learned from my father. Who was his father? King David was Solomon's father. So Solomon says, son, I'm teaching you what my dad, King David, told me. David, we know, is a man after God's own heart. David, we know, was the anointed of God. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. David was one through whom the very Spirit of the Lord spoke at times in the Old Testament, as we read in 2 Samuel 23, 1 and 2. This is what King David taught his son Solomon. And Solomon wrote down to teach his sons. But you know what happened, don't you? Despite David's best efforts, again, Proverbs 4, 3, and 4 with his son Solomon, there were a number of years in Solomon's life wherein Solomon made the choice to reject much of God's law, which he had most likely been taught growing up in David's household, a rejection which cost Solomon mightily, as we read in 1 Kings, please turn there, chapter 11, verses 6 through 11. 1 Kings, chapter 11. Here's Solomon writing down for his sons to follow the same instruction that he'd gained from his father David and all that. And yet, again, Solomon, for a number of years, did not follow all that he had been taught. 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning at verse 6, we know that Solomon here is married to many foreign wives against what God had said in Deuteronomy. It says in, in uh, 1 Kings 11:6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. And here, here's another reflection of what we talked about this morning. Children don't always follow faithfully what their faithful parents do. Then Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. Did David honor God, except for pretty much his mistake with Bathsheba? David was a man after God's own heart. David wrote much of the Psalms. David tried to follow God even when he messed up royally. And God responded to David's choices. 
here, he said, Solomon, you've disobeyed me, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to tear the kingdom out, but I'm not going to do it for you, from you for the sake of your father David. See, God rewards right choices. David had apparently shared and shed much of his godly wisdom into the life of his son Solomon, but you know what? Even though he had, he could not live Solomon's life for him. Although David taught him many things, he could not force Solomon to carry them out in his adult life. Although David had shared his life, he could not live his son Solomon's life for him. Although David could teach him right from wrong, he could not make Solomon's decisions for him. We're going back to that, I can but I cannot. We see how this applies throughout the scriptures. Same with the rest of David's children. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, we have the story of David's son, Amnon, who raped his half-sister, Tamar. David could teach him respect, but could not force him to be a man of honor. David could have taught him right from wrong, but he could not decide to act righteously for his son, Amnon. Same with Absalom. In 2 Samuel, Chapters 13 through 18, we have that story of Absalom that we talked about this morning. It was Absalom who had his half-brother Amnon murdered. It was Absalom who fled from his father's presence. It was Absalom who then committed treason and who then sought his father's life. You see, David could love Absalom. David could teach Absalom love but he could not force Absalom to love him in return. He could teach him to give, but he couldn't make him unselfish. He could teach Absalom to obey, but he couldn't force him into compliance. David could teach and pray and plead and cry and beg and guide, but he could not make either Amnon, Absalom, or Solomon's, or anyone else's for that matter, choices to walk with God the way he did. He couldn't. And I got to thinking how that's not only true with King David's children and with God's Old Testament people, but that's true with everybody else. This is true with everybody else. And think about this. Let's apply this I can but I cannot on a broader spectrum. How about this? You can give somebody a tract, but you can't make them read it. You can invite somebody to worship services, but you can't make them come. You, you can ask somebody if they'd like to study the Bible with you, but you can't force them to open it teach somebody the truth about becoming a Christian, but you can't make them obey it. And you can call, and you can text, and you can contact, and you can reach out to brethren that have fallen away over the years, but you cannot force them to repent and return to faithfulness, can you? Wouldn't you love to be able to do that? <laughs> But people, 
They've got to want to. They've got to make their own choices. It's got to be their choice. But brethren, once you've done all you can, that's all you can do. Now, I'm not saying don't do all you can. Everybody needs to do all they can. But once you've done all you can, that's all you can do. It really is. And that is all the Lord expects. Isn't God awesome? All God expects out of us is to do all we can. What did he say about the woman? She hath done what? What she could. Did God ask, say, well, that isn't good enough? No, of course he didn't. God expects you to do what you can. But once you've done what you can, that's all you can do. For the sake of our own spiritual survival, we all must choose to understand and accept this timeless and God-given truth when it comes to following Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus opened his mouth and taught a lot, right? Three and a half years, Jesus taught a lot. Did Jesus always teach the truth? Absolutely. Did Jesus ever teach anything less than the truth? Never, not once. No. Did Jesus hold himself responsible when people he taught did not respond appropriately? If Jesus didn't do that, why do we? Turn to me in your Bibles to John 6. John 6. Watch this. In John chapter 6, we'll start at verse 59. John 6 and verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they're life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, you also want to go away? Jesus did not hold himself responsible for those that walked away from the truth. Why? Because Jesus knows everybody has their own choices to make. Now, Jesus knew the pain. Listen, he was, gonna, was he going to die for those guys that just walked away? Was he going to do that? Was he going to cross? Sure he was. Yeah, those are the people. We're all those people. He was going to go and face everything he faced for those people because he loved them. It's God's will that none should perish. He loved them. I'm not, I'm not belittling this. I'm not making less of it than it is or anything like that. Jesus loved those people enough to die for them that walked away from him. But he also knew their choice was going to be their choice. And he didn't hold himself responsible for that. We could turn, we won't, but we could turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, wonders what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus and he have this conversation. The young man said he'd kept all the commandments. He was a good young man, by the way. Kept all the commandments. And it says in that passage, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. I, I love that Mark tells us that. Jesus looking at him, loved him. 
Jesus wanted this young man, this young man so bad, and he was going to die for him, and he wanted this young man to follow him. It says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, one thing. This kid was close, right? One thing you lack. Told him what it was, and the young man went away sad, for he had many possessions. You don't think that broke Jesus' heart? But, yeah, it did, but... You don't see Jesus go off in a corner somewhere and say, man, how could I have handled that better? Jesus couldn't have handled it any better. Jesus handled it perfectly because Jesus is perfection. And, and we got to get that. Listen, when the apostles taught a lesson straight out of the word of God, did they hold themselves responsible for those that rejected the message, did they? You see Peter going off and saying, man, I, I, what else could I have done? I, 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 surely this is all my fault. No, 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 no. Hey, Satan would have loved that. Wouldn't Satan have loved it to have just absolutely crushed Peter under this load of unnecessary guilt so that Peter says, that's it, I'm not going to preach anymore. Satan would have eaten that up. You don't see Peter doing that. When he'd done the best he could, He'd done the best he could, and he would not hold himself responsible for those who rejected it. Stop and think about it. Let's talk real quickly about three situations. Peter in Acts 2 preaches a gospel sermon, tells them what they need to do. You don't see Peter after that. You see 3,000 baptized. Some commentators believe there were between 50 and 100,000 people there that day. Well, if so, Peter, that means you blew it with about 47 to 97,000 people. So that 3,000 ain't so grand. But see, Peter didn't see it that way. Every soul is priceless, right? Peter knew he'd, he'd told the truth. Peter knew he'd preached the gospel. And so he didn't hold, hold himself responsible. What about Stephen in Acts chapter 7? Did Stephen, well, he didn't have time because they killed him. What about Paul in Acts 13 and 26? Turn to me to Acts 13. You never see Paul saying, well, these people didn't come to Christ and that's my fault. You, you don't see that. that. You just don't read that. One example, Acts chapter 13, begin at verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Notice that this was a very long sermon here in Acts chapter 13, or at least it took quite a number of verses. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard it, they were glad. They glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord is being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You don't see Paul saying, you know, maybe I could have done better to reach those folks. Listen, it's the truth that reaches. It's the truth that teaches. It's the truth 
that appeals. It's the truth that people choose to reject or accept. It's not you. It's not you. Moms, dads, neighbors, friends, coworkers, classmates, it's not you. It's the word of God. So, I think sometimes we confuse guilty with just feeling bad for the person, and that's a different thing. We ought to feel bad for people that aren't going to heaven. We ought to. We ought to break our hearts if people don't go for, to heaven, yes. But when it comes to us doing all we can do, don't let Satan crush you with guilt that you didn't do what you should have. So if the apostles didn't hold themselves responsible when people didn't respond correctly, and Jesus didn't hold himself responsible when people didn't respond correctly, why is it we feel so guilty when we've done the best to preach and teach or reach out to people regarding such things as, let's say the biblical truth on baptism. And then those we talk to about that harden their hearts, reject the word, walk away time and again, even though they know what the Lord wants or requires. Why is it we feel so guilty when we've done our best to teach and preach and reach out to people with the truth of God's word on other subjects? What about when we reach out to them with the truth of, of God's word regarding personal growth and good works? Some just refuse to grow and get involved. Or when we seek to teach or preach or reach out to people about the requirement that God put in the scriptures about loving and forgiving one another. And those people just continue to hold a grudge, ignore it and not do it. What about when we teach the biblical truth about the Lord's one New Testament church to somebody and they choose to continue to worship in a man-made denomination? What about when we teach people the biblical truth about such things as anger and gossip and slander, but they keep right on doing those things? Folks, it is then that we must come to understand that when we've done our best, the best we can, that's all we can do. That's all we can do. And we at that point must, li listen, at that point, at that point where a person makes that decision on whatever it is to reject everything that we've taught them from God's word, whatever the situation, they just, they reject it all. Listen. Does God respect their choice? Does God accept their choice? Does he? And as much as it breaks his heart, he accepts it. And as much as it breaks ours, sometimes we have to too. I mean, we keep trying with them, but we need to understand it's not on us. From sons and daughters to friends and neighbors to brothers and sisters to classmates and coworkers. Listen, we can share their lives. We need to share their lives, but we can't live their lives for them. We can try to teach them, but we can't make them learn it. We can exemplify obedience. We can be the most obedient Christian in, in 100 miles. We can exemplify obedience, but we can't make them obey. We can invite them to church, but we can't make them Christians. You ever heard the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? Well, you can lead a sinner to church, but you can't make him a Christian. We can teach people about sin, but we can't force them to repent. We can teach them about Jesus, but we can't make them disciples. We can love them as brethren or as people in general, but we can neither place them in or keep them in the family of God. We can pray for them constantly, but we can't make them walk with God. 
We can show them how to live the Christian life, but we can't give them eternal life. We need to stop thinking we can and holding ourselves responsible. Sometimes we hold ourselves as spiritual hostage when we give it everything we've got, but we simply can't get them to conform. Do you know that tonight's lesson is one of the most difficult lessons for people who love other people to learn? If you truly, truly love people, if you're a, a big-hearted Christian, it's one of the toughest lessons we're ever going to have to learn. Those who love others deeply and want them in heaven, we still can't make their choices for them, even though sometimes we wish we could. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could Take anybody who wanted to go to heaven and just go and make them a faithful Christian. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, it also make them puppets and make you more powerful than God because God won't do that. Speaking of God, before we close, what about God and us? Turn to me to 2 Peter 3. In 2 Peter 3, beginning at verse 9, it says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with a fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him, found by him, in peace, without spot, and blameless. What's the message? Everything we've talked about tonight. Just like Moses saying, I'm putting before you life and peace and, and death and cursing. I'm putting these things before you. Tonight, God puts before us this passage in Peter. And he's saying, look, the time is coming when this is all going to just, God's going to, it's going to go away. So knowing that, what kind of people ought you to be? Had you not ought to be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. He's saying, look, this is what you need to be. And, and God's crying out for all of us to be that. But God can't make the choice for us. Preacher can't make the choice for us. You can't make the choice for the preacher. We're all accountable to be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot or blameless. You see... Before I close, the crux of today's lessons are simply this, and, and let me just put this all right in a neat little package. Satan loves to stop a faithful Christian. Is that fair? 
And as I mentioned this morning, all too often, what happens is that when a Christian does the best they can in all these areas we've talked about today and they give it everything they've got and they get so frustrated and they get depressed and they get, they get broken and, they, they, they be, and the reason that happens is because when they've given it everything they've got, Satan keeps dredging it up and Satan says, hey, you know, you really messed that up. You could have done a lot better. You know, you're pretty worthless. In the overall scheme, I don't know why God loves you. You messed this up totally. What is your problem? You aren't even fit to be called. And he keeps, he keeps charging us and charging us. And char Brethren, it is time for us to tell Satan to take his little schemes and go back where he belongs with them because our sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that right? Are your sins under the blood or not? Then leave them there. Leave them there. Don't let Satan dredge them up. Leave them there and keep working for God. Paul said, what did Paul say in Philippians 3? He said, forgetting the things that lie behind, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of Jesus Christ. If anybody could be haunted by mistakes and terrible things, and Christians he put to death. It's, but Paul said, no, he said, forgetting the things. Why could he forget the things that lay behind? Because those had been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if it's been covered by the blood, Leave it there. Because if you let Satan dredge it up and dump it on you again, he's going to slow you down. And eventually, if you allow him to keep doing that, he's going to stop you. And if he's allowed to continue to do that, guess what? One of these days, you might wind up yourself being a child of the Heavenly Father who's no longer faithful because you're broke. Do not let him even start the process. You thank God every day for his grace and his love and his mercy that your sins are covered. And you press on knowing they are covered. There is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ. Isn't our God an awesome God? Speaking of choices, what will you do with the lesson tonight? After all, you can lead a sinner to water, but you can't make him obey the gospel. Well, we got water, but nobody here can force you to become a Christian. That choice is yours if you have not done that. If you have done that, I have another one for you. You can tell a Christian they need to grow, but you can't make the decision for them that they're going to. I am so grateful for the two brethren who have come forward the last two worship services and said, I need to grow. I need to grow. I need some help. I need forgiveness. I need help. Sometimes that's what it takes to grow. If there's anybody here tonight who needs to be baptized into Christ or who needs to grow and needs the prayers of the church to grow stronger. Not let Satan keep heaping guilt on you that Jesus is buried beneath the blood. Somebody that needs that kind of help, or any kind of help. Come let us know right now as we stand and sing.